Praise God. If you're a guest today, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. We welcome you today. Amen. We are in the, uh, the deep depths of summer today in the middle of July, post 4th of July and pre-Labor Day. And so a lot of people are in and out, coming and going. And so uh, we're glad that everyone is here today. If you're watching us on theantioch.com, we welcome you uh, this morning to our broadcast. I want to say one quick note. Um, we're excited tonight. For tonight, that uh, Brother Andrew Nielsen, the young man that received the uh, kidney transplant, is going to try to make it to church tonight. So we're excited about that. Uh, just, but I just want to make one quick note uh, on behalf of him uh, and his family. I'm sure all of you would love to go up and, and give him a high five and hug him and kiss him and love all over him. But he's still in a very vulnerable stage uh, and so we're asking tonight if you could just give him a high five from a distance uh, and uh, do as much as possible uh, not to get within close uh, proximity of him. Um, it's a great blessing he's able to come to church. Let's not kill him while he's here. So uh, if you would, be respectful of that. Uh, and uh, no, everybody here thinks, well, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm a close friend. Hey, you know. We'll, we're, we all can be respectful of it, and uh, that way he can come. And uh, it's, if you've ever been out of church for any period of time, um, it's just good to be back in. So we're excited he's going to be here tonight. We're going to respect and honor that. Praise God. You can be seated for a moment. I have a direction I feel to go this morning, but I want to just... I feel this has been bouncing around in me for a couple of days now, and I want to just throw this out there to somebody I feel like it's a word for someone today. It's not really, it's not the, the message for today. But if you recall the news, the events two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was all over the news of the two escaped convicts that were on the run. As that story unfolded and you began to hear more details of their um, situation, it was remarkable to think that even as the crimes that they had committed, the amount of freedom that they had gained inside of that prison. I'm not here today to tell you about the justice system of America, but it got me thinking that sometimes we can misread what it's truly like to be free. Because the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But the devil is a master at cloaking prison and bondage as perceived freedom. You see, a dog on a leash has freedoms. A dog on a leash can make its own decision. It can go where it wants to go within the parameters of the leash. You can be inside of prison and have freedoms, perceived freedoms versus others that might be in the same prison, but you're still bound because you're inside the walls of that prison. And there are a lot of Supposed Christians that walk around thinking they're free because they can worship a little bit, they can do this a little bit, but truly are bound. Because when you're bound, you've got no authority in your life. You've got no liberty, true liberty in your life. You, you, you experience moments of it, but, but let's be honest. A lot of times we can come in here and ride the coattail of somebody else. But when it's just you and your pillow at night or you in the mirror facing you in the morning, it's a whole different ball game. Because you can walk out of here feeling saved on Sunday and a sinner on Monday. Is amen whether that amen or not, it's good too. 
And you can walk out of here feeling great because you were in the presence of God, but you had nothing to do with it because you've got so much stuff in your life you're not dealing with. And you're bound. Your faith is bound. Your spirit's bound. You've got no dominion, no authority, nothing in your life. And you come here and you feel free a little bit, but it's not really freedom. But it's the will of God for us to walk in true liberty and freedom. Not walk perfect. Do you realize that the early church, we can go into the history of this if we had time, but the word Christian, we know it first started at Antioch. But the, but the early Christians, early believers did not call themselves, that wasn't the label that they used for themselves, Christians. Because the word Christian means Christ-like, which is a which implies a finished work. Jesus said, I am the way. So if you would ask an early believer what they were, their response to you would be, I'm on the way. I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. I'm not Christ-like yet, but I'm on the way. We are all today on the way. There's not one person in here today that has ascended into a place where you can walk in here and think, well, you know what, I think I finally got it all figured out. All of us in this place today are on the way. And you know what, it's not really who's afar, who's in front of me and who's behind me, because we all are walking in our own way. There are parameters and things that we all work with, but each one of us, God has us in a place and a position and a, and a, and a designated pattern for all of us to follow that's specifically tailored and designed for you. So today it's not about the fact of perfection and how good you're doing and how many I's you're dotting, how many T's you're crossing, but it's the fact of, do you really have true liberty in your life? Do you really have liberty? And how do you know if I have liberty? Well, how's your faith? How, how's, how's your worship? How's your communication with God? Not in this building. Because you can come in here and you can get caught up in what's going on in here. And if you allow yourself, you can become deceived because it feels good in here. But what about when you leave this place? I'm really scared because if Jesus doesn't return... At 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, we all might be in trouble. I hope he doesn't come back on Wednesday at 4.30 or, or, or a Friday at 7 or something like that because there may be a lot of us, and God forbid Saturday we've been on a church for five, six days by that time. And you know what? When you start living that life, instead of, Instead of all of this bringing life and peace and joy and contentment, it starts draining you. All of this becomes a drain. All that we supposedly do, all of the things that we're involved in, become a drain. That's not what this was. Jesus said, I'll give you life and life more abundantly. So there's, there's some of you in here today, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself and ask yourself, do I really have Liberty in my life. And if you can't answer that question, then you need to find your place, self a place to pray and pray until you get some liberty. And that doesn't happen in a church service. I'm not talking about something that that we all rush to the altar day and pray. I'm talking about something you have got to make a decision for yourself by yourself. David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. I'm glad there's times where someone comes along and pats you on the back and said, you're going to make it. I'm praying for you. But there are some of you who've been around long enough. You've got to look yourself in the face and say, this ain't cutting it. Forgive my language. Praise God. Let's move forward. I want to read to you today from the book of Ezekiel, a very cryptic, somewhat cryptic passage of scripture is a vision of, uh, that Ezekiel wrote down that the Lord gave him comes in Ezekiel chapter 47 
And verse number one says this, Afterward he brought me again under the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out for under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the other gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And then the man, and, and when the man that had a line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters and the waters were to the ankles. And again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. And again he measured a thousand and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. After he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And if you skip down to verse 9, it says, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the the rivers shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live, whether the river cometh. There, there is some. There is a lot of stuff in those verses. A lot of cryptic stuff. A lot of typology. There is a lot of future prophetic uh, words in that. In fact, there was. It was within the the. I believe the last decade or so, I can't remember exactly when it was, but they discovered underneath the Temple Mount in Jerusalem a water source that they had not uh, known was there. And when they had discovered this water source, there were some that began to believe that this, what they had discovered was was the beginning of the prophecy given uh, by Ezekiel, but I want to take it a little uh, step further and not really talk about the prophetic application of this, but to talk about the parallel that's in this scripture that relates to you and I and how we progress in God. Because if you notice, there is a progression in the depth of the water as the man that was measuring it got deeper into it. As he walked farther, the water began to get deeper and deeper. And I think we can take that, and you and I can see parallels in our own Christian walk uh, as we as we grow in Christ. And as we do that, what happens in the Spirit, the water representing the Spirit of God, how that begins to work in us. First of all, he walked out a thousand uh, cubits, and the water was to his ankles. The the ankles are attached, obviously, this doesn't take much uh, 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 reasoning to figure it out. They're attached to your feet. I know that was deep. Take a break. Sink that in. But your feet represent your walk. That, that When we first come to, to God, the, the first place you start is with your walk. We might teach today. We might preach. We're just going to go with the Holy Ghost. Is that Okay. If we don't get much faster than if it's okay. That, that initial coming to God, it begins your walk. Your, your initial walk, it starts at the bottom. It, you, where you get your, your feet established. Because when you are living a life of sin and you're living a life that is ungodly, you, the Bible, t- the typology that Jesus gave in his parable is that your, the, your life is on, on the shifting sands. That you're building yourself, your life on a foundation that's not solid. And obviously, as the parallel that Jesus gave was, is that you can't really tell what someone's built their house upon until there's adversity. Nothing brings out what's internally in you like adversity. That's why, allow me just for a moment to digress, that's why marriage is such a powerful tool that can be used in helping people get to God closer because nothing brings out stuff in you like marriage. Don't hit your spouse too hard when you say that. Because there's stuff that, that, that comes out of you in adversity. And in the beginning of your walk with God, in that establishing and establishing when the when the waters are to your ankle, it's about your walk. It's about you. 
So many times in scripture, the term walk is, is used to, 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 to connotate our progression, our, our journey. Repentance is a part of that walk. Baptism becomes a part of that walk. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is a part of that walk. Being a part of a local church is a part of that walk. Do you realize this? The word church is used many times throughout Scripture, but only four times is the word church used where it refers to the church universal. Every other time it refers to a local church. There are over 30 commands in the New Testament alone that cannot be obeyed unless you're part of a local church. There are 58 one another's in the Bible, such as serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another, greet one another, bear one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, honor one another, teach one another, submit to one another, encourage one another. How can you do that if you're by yourself? And that connotation is not talking about your neighbor. It's talking about a fellow believer. And so all of this initial part of our walk with God is about establishing our walk with Him. A lot of people... That's about as far into God as they get. They, they just kind of wade into Him and, and, it, and it stays in that about me, my walk, my, 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 my way. And, and, and it's, it stays in that shallow. You never really progress deep. You, you get, you get splashes of the Spirit of God here and there, but you never really get to the, to the depth of what God has for you. But as you go out further, the scripture says he goes another thousand cubits and he goes out another thousand cubits and now the water's to his knees. As you get farther in God, then the, 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 the depth of your relationship, it rises to the knees. The knees represent a place that you fall to in prayer and worship. Because as you progress in God, you realize it becomes less and less about you and more and more about Him. In the beginning, when the water's to your ankles, it's about you, your walk. What's best for you? What's convenient for you? What, what helps you? But as you go deeper in God, as the waters of the Spirit begin to rise in your life, you begin to realize it's not really about me as much as about Him. I love Him because why? He first loved me. That now everything that I do becomes wrapped around what I'm doing for Him and service to Him and love for Him and response to Him. Not as much as I do for me. And everything that's done to me is only a reciprocal, a blessing, a splashover from what we've done to Him. I give. We give to Him. He gives back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. And when you're first coming to God, it's about what are you going to give me? But when you grow in Christ, it's about what am I going to give him? And whatever he gives back to me is okay. Because I'm serving him and, and the water begins to get to your knees. And when that water begins to get to your knees and you begin to get a little bit in the depth of the spirit, you begin to experience things you've never experienced before. And you begin to, to feel things you never feel before as you, as you get farther into what God has for you. Because the shift begins to focus as you see in a, in a child, even as a young child in the beginning of, the, of that of the stage of development for a child. It's about me. Change my diaper. Feed me. Do this. Carry me. But as that child grows, it becomes a little bit more about others and, and, and those around you. And you begin to change a little bit in your maturity. It's the same thing with us as we grow in God. You're not supposed to just stay in the shallow part. God's desire is for all of us to progress. It's about growing in Him. And as you grow in Him, the change that begins to take place. And, and now, so it starts off, it starts off in the beginning as your walk. Because it's down in, in, in the ankles. It's about you and, 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 and what's happening in your life. But it begins to get deeper as you go farther. Now it's beginning about God. Service to Him. What do you want me to do? Or not, not what I want to do. What do you want me to do? The prayer changes. It's no longer, Lord, here's what I want. Here's what I need. It's, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Where you lead me, I'm going to go. 
I do. I, I, I don't want. I don't want to tell you what I want. I want you to tell me. And he comes about His will, not my will, but Thine be done. That's the progression. That second part of growing in God. When it stops being about your will, being His will, you realize to be happy, it's not your choice, but it's His choice. And as you get to that place in, in God, as you grow, and it now becomes more about what He desires in you more than what you desire. Now, all of a sudden, the spirit begins to rise in you, and you get into the little, the more depths of the spirit. And, and now it's not just licking at your ankles, but now you're beginning to feel some, some weight, some depth of the spirit. But as you go farther, the Bible says that he went another thousand cubits, and as he goes another thousand cubits, now the water is no longer now at his knees. Now the water has gone to his loins. Not to be too, too, uh, uh, I, I try to be as, 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 um, Coy as I can with this, but the loins represent your reproductive areas. Where it's no longer about what is happening for you, but it's about you align what's in you to reproduce in others. So now you start off where it was about you, your walk. It's, it's about you. But as you grow in Christ, now becomes about what he wants. But when you get what he wants, now as the waters get deeper, now it's about helping others find him too. It's about ministry, reaching out. No longer, Lord. God, whatever you do in me, that's only a splash over. Help me to find others that you can use me to touch. As you grow in him, that's what happens. You, you realize the fact that when you come to him, you know, it's about getting your feet on solid ground, getting that established ground underneath you because your life has been so shaky and so shifty, but now you have placed your feet on solid ground. And as you grow, now it's about God. What do you want me to do? And, and you realize if you want to be with him, you got to get in the yoke with him. And when you get in the yoke with him, he said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost, where it's not just about your walk and how it affects you, but now it's about, hey, I don't want to go to heaven by myself. So if I want to go to heaven, Lord, whatever you're going to do, use me in every capacity to be a minister of your gospel, to reach those, to be a hand, to, to be a shoulder, to be a lifter, whatever you got to do. That's the part of growing in him. Starts off about me. Then it turns to him. But then important thing, when he gets in me, then it's about letting others see him through me. You've heard this before. I'm not telling you something you don't know, but you realize this world doesn't see Jesus. He, he, he left 2000 years ago. The only Jesus this world sees is you and me. Now you can think that's pressure. And I guess to a degree you can say, well, that's, you're putting pressure. I'm not putting pressure. I'm trying to get you to realize the opportunity that's been given to you by God that he chose you to be his ambassador, his representative. You say, well, you know, you don't know who I am, the person. Well, if he gave you his spirit, that's an endorsement that he is okay with you. Unless you can tell me that he withheld his spirit from you. If he gave it to you, that's an endorsement. That if he gave you his spirit. The, what, did, what, did, what did the book of Acts say? That you shall receive Holy Ghost to be what? First and foremost witnesses not to be a devil chaser not to be some kind of knight in God's calvary to be a witness what was the initial outcome of the filling of the holy ghost it was a witness to those that were outside of that upper room do you know why some of us are so stagnant it's because God is not going to pour his blessing into a pond that has no outlet Do you know why some of you have capped in your walk with God? Because it's all a big funnel. And it's all pouring into you and there's no outflow. If you would let some outflow, you would give some space for God to put something new in you. But it was all about me and all about what's happening to me. And God, you got to fix this. And God, God, after a while, it's like, I can't. I can't put any more in there because there's no outflow. And if I put more in you, it's going to kill you. But as the more I allow him to use me, hey, I got to be honest with you. 
Sometimes being used of God is a little selfish. Because the more I let the Lord use me, the more He blesses me. If you've never experienced that, then you're missing a huge, huge blessing in your life. Because there's nothing greater than being able to sit across from somebody and let the Lord use you to minister to them and see God before your eyes, not because of you, but because of the power of God, to watch God begin to transform somebody and change somebody and begin to work down on somebody and watch inside of their eyes the darkness begin to rearrange and light begin to come. And now where there was no hope, now there is hope. To see all that transpire in somebody, there's nothing in this world that's greater than that. All the great moments of my life that I can remember... I would say less than 20% of them are, are about just me and Jesus. 80% of them were about what God allowed me to participate in Him as He touched others through me. To see Him do that. But you see, all of this happens. The Bible says, as He went out thousand cubits, He got deeper in the water. Deeper in the water. Deeper in the water. As you get deeper in the Spirit of God, as you begin to walk in the Spirit, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation. That sounds great, right? That sounds like a great promise. There is therefore now no condemnation. Woo! I love that. But that's not the whole Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that what? Walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Do you know what condemnation is? There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. They're not the same. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction comes from God. Because conviction points out things in your life, but gives you hope that they can be changed. Conviction exposes sin, but it doesn't expose this sin to shame you. It exposes sin because he wants to forgive you. You come into a service and you feel convicting power of God, and all of a sudden you feel like there's things in you. are like, man, I, I, that's, I really got to... Ch-. That's the conviction power of God because there's hope. Condemnation points out sin, but strips the hope. Because condemnation says... This is what's going on, but you might not, you, 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 you probably should just forget ever even trying to deal with it because it's a pointless cause. Condemnation strips hope, but the Bible says those who walk in the spirit don't have condemnation. There's so many things in our lives that, that we can read, that we can figure out and read the symptoms to find out where we are. You can go take vital signs right now. You can take my blood pressure, you can take my pulse, you can take other things, temperature, all those things as vital signs to me to determine my health without ever ripping me open and examining my internal body just by the vital signs that are in my body. We have spiritual vital signs, and one of those is, are you battling condemnation today? Are you battling with the fact that in your life right now, you feel like there are things in you that have no hope of changing? If that's the case, you are battling condemnation, and the only way you battle condemnation is you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. I know we're teaching today, but that's okay. It's just us here today. Because ultimately, I know in myself, as Paul said, there's no good thing. I mean, there's there's not. I've looked. I can't find it. There's nothing in me that's good. And so if there's nothing good in me, what do I have to give to anyone Inside of me. But with him, all things are possible to know. So as I walk in him, things begin to change. And as things begin to change, it brings the depth. But finally, he says, I go out another thousand cubits. And when I got out that thousand cubits, now the water was above my head. I couldn't stand anymore. Now I had to swim. Now, can I... Share with you something today that you can't live like that. 
I remember my dad talking stories about uh, when he was in uh, the Naval Academy and then when he went to flight school for the Navy, that uh, they had to do a test where they had to tread water for, uh, like, I think it was up to an hour with, with full flight gear on. And he had to do that. He talked about how absolutely exhausting that was. And I'm sure there's probably people that have world records out there that have tread, treaded water. I'm sure someone here said, well, I treaded for two days. Well, good. But there, there's only a certain point you can tread water. You can only go for so long before your body gives out. So you can't live in water over your head. Hold on, we're going somewhere. You can't live. We all want to live in that deep part of the ocean where God is just absolutely so powerful that he just, he just washes over us. But you can't live there. Because eventually you're going to get tired and weak in your humanity and you're going to have to go touch the bottom. So the will of God is we, we, we live in that, in that realm between when the water is our loins and when it goes overhead. But what do we call that? Because you know what? I can take you out today and I don't do this. So I wouldn't take you, but I could take you somewhere. I'm sure they could teach you. I can take you out today and buy you a surfboard. And I can take you out to the beach and I can show you the techniques for surfing. I personally probably would never surf because I watched too much Shark Week and I am not getting in any ocean water forever. (laughs) It's just too much stuff out there. But I've I've watched it now. I've had the opportunity to go places where they surf. And you know what? They can teach you the parameters of how you paddle out there and then how you stand up on the board. But there's one thing they can't teach you. They can't teach you how to create a wave. You can teach how to ride the wave, but I can't teach you how to create the wave. Because the wave is not created by the rider. The wave's created about the ocean. And there is that place we get in God where we no longer are creating things, but now God begins to choose periods of our time to allow waves of his spirit to overwhelm us and wash us for whatever reason. We call it revival. But you know what? There are two factors in the ocean that create big waves. I know there may be other, but two stand out. Number one, earthquakes. Earthquakes can create big waves. And the other two are storms that create big waves. But if you go in the scripture, you find that there are two earthquakes that stick out. Two earthquakes that really stick out. The first one is in the Old Testament when they marched around the city of Jericho and they finally shouted with victory. It created an earthquake. The ground began to shake and the walls of Jericho came down. And the second one was when Paul and Silas was in, was in jail and they began to worship and an earthquake came and shook the jail free and they were walked out free. Two times there was an earthquake that created movement in the ground from praise. But, but I begin to think about this and meditate it. And oftentimes we think of that and we say, well, they were praising. So let's just get up. We'll clap a little bit. We'll shake our hands. Woo! I don't feel any earthquake. I don't think that's what the praise that they were doing. Because Psalm said, let the high praises of God be your mouth and a two-edged sword in your hand. So can I just say to you today that Praise wasn't just simply coming because they found a good beat on a drum or a good lick on an organ or they had some kind of riff on a guitar and they had their groove on. But they were doing spiritual warfare that began to create a wave of the spirit that took them out of bondage. And broke free of the things that had them surrounded and had them broken. So, yeah, you say, well, I worship, but nothing happens. I'm not talking about because you sing a few songs off a screen. But I'm talking about when something rises down inside of you. 
that gets a hold of you. That as you begin to worship, it's no longer about hallelujah, thank you Jesus, great God, awesome God. But something gets a hold of you that starts down on the inside of your soul where the Spirit of God begins to rise. And you pick up a sword and said, if God be for me, who can be against me? Where you begin to fight in the spirit. Fight through praise. You say, I'm not stopping until something breaks. I'm not quitting until I feel God begin to shake me all the way down inside my core. I can't create the wave, but I know the one who can create the wave. And if I get connected to the one who can create the wave, the only thing I've got to do is get on my board and paddle and just wait for the wave to come. It may not happen the first time. You know, if you watch surfers out there, they kind of bob a little bit up and down because they're waiting they're waiting for that nade. They know, they sense, they've ridden those waves enough to know when the wave that's coming, that's worth riding. And so every once in a while, you're like, well, I don't feel it. But you can kind of feel a little bit of the sub. And, and the Spirit of God just begin to lift you up a little bit. Lift you up a little bit. Lift you up a little bit. And you can sense there's something coming. I can feel something coming. So instead of you getting complacent and say, well, you know what? Let me take my surfboard and go back and get on the beach. All of a sudden you get prepared because you know it's not happening yet. But I can sense something beginning to come and faith begins to rise. And now you're ready because you don't want to miss the opportunity. When God decides this is the time, you don't want to miss that opportunity. That's why praise and worship is so important because if you're bound in praise and worship you will be bound in spiritual warfare there's nobody that has liberty in spiritual warfare that's bound in worship there's not one person I don't care who you are I don't care how much you think you know there's not one person, you, you can tell me you have victory in spiritual warfare and you've got nothing in praise and worship. I'm not saying you got to be the one up here and you're doing all this because that's not, that's not it. A lot of that time, let's be honest, it's just exercise. It's more whipped cream than it is substance. I'm talking about where you fit, where you have true liberty in worship. You can't have spiritual dominion and victory in your life and be bound in worship. It doesn't work that way. And you know what? To get you free of worship is not the job of those who are leading worship. I'm so tired of the worship leaders, whatever they are, whoever they are, getting the blame because nothing's happening. Get off your backside and do something about it. I know that's strong. I'll probably get a text later. Boy, you shouldn't say that, son. I was watching this morning. But the fact of the matter is, why is it my job or whoever's job up there to play pom-pom cheerleader to say, let's worship today, worship today, because you're so bound in your spirit, you can't worship. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. It didn't say anything about wait for the person to play a song. It says when you walk in this place, you should already have a song in your heart. It shouldn't be about the person trying to pull you out. You should be like, listen, you can sing. You can sing Amazing Grace. You can sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. It doesn't matter to me because there's something down in my heart that has to be released in praise. So the first place we find that creates a wave is the earthquake. Second thing that creates a wave is a storm. 
storms seem to be negative in their connotation because no one wants to be in a storm. But have you ever been around people who surf? And I recently was preaching for a guy who, who was a big surfer. Not big surfer. He was big into surfing. And uh, he, we were talking about some of the things that he had done surfing-wise. And he had talked several times about times where they rode the big waves. And the big waves came during uh, the, the height of the El Nino time. And I'm not into the weather, so I don't know if we're still in El Nino. But he said during El Nino, the, the, the height of El Nino, the place where he was was experiencing bigger waves than normal. And nobody here really wants to go through a storm or be in a storm. But there's a depth of the spirit that comes in the storm you can't get when everything is perfect. And so if, if you're not going to create the earthquake through your praise and your dominion, then God and his love and mercy send storms along to get you into the depth of the spirit. And so the storms come in our lives and and, 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 and again, not one person in here would ever volunteer to live in a storm, but, but the benefit that happens in storms that, 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 ha- that, that begin to bring things in our lives, that, that begin to, 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 to shake things up, to begin to cause us to be tossed back and forth, but it, it raises the level and the intensity of the water around us and the spirit begins to be able to release the, the intensity. That's why, no offense, can I, just, can I just tell you something that may depress you? Our nation is not going to get better. You can't have revival in a utopia. If you look at the parallels between the, the New Testament church that experienced great revival and the culture of the New Testament church, we have a ways to go to get to where they were. But there's something that happens in the depth and the darkness of the storm that allows the Spirit of God to be raised in your life. Because there's something about when that water gets raised that no longer, most of the time you can swim, but but you're at the mercy of of the movement of the water. That's why the Bible says the Spirit of God shall lead us into all truth. Because there's a time when we get in the Spirit that that we, we go beyond the, the ability of our intellect to reason. It becomes about spiritual revelation. Revelation is to be revealed. We begin to have things revealed to us that we wouldn't understand without the Spirit of God leading and guiding us. It's amazing to me all the time to be able to sit and read a scripture for the 400th time and have something in that scripture revealed to me I'd never seen before. That's only through the Spirit of God working in our lives. But you know what? The greatest revelations I've gotten have come in the darkest moments of my life when I was in the storm. But in that storm and the Spirit of God began to lift me up. God began to share things and expose things in me and began to, and I began to see things I couldn't have seen. If I was in the shallows, if I was just in the, in, in, in the waiting parts of life, you can't live in the depths out there. You drowned after a while. So every once in a while you come and, and you get grounded a little bit and you, and, and, and you get placed your feet on some solid ground and, and, and it seems to slow down, but it's the will of God for all of us to experience waves of the spirit. It's not good if we just live in the shallows of life. Because if you live in the shallows of life and spirit, it doesn't really seem like there's much to all this. What's the big deal? What's really all going on? It doesn't seem like there's much going on. But if you've ever been in the depth of the spirit, if you ever had the chance to get in the deep of the spirit and experience God as he washes over you, there's nothing like that. But you can't get there if you're just in that waiting stage or just about me as you move deeper it becomes about him as you go deeper it comes about others but then there's that that last part he desires to get where it just becomes about the supernatural manifestation of god the unexplained the times where you where you know what's happened but you can't explain what's happening 
where, where, where God is so real and so powerful that it's almost a tangible thing. But there's so many times that you experience things that you can't even process in your mind what you're experiencing, but you know you're experiencing something that's beyond just natural feeling, but gets into the realm of the supernatural. I wonder if there's anybody today in this place that you are so tired of living in the shallows of life. That you're so tired. Maybe, maybe you've never experienced that before, but can I be bold to say there's a lot of you that experienced that before, but you haven't experienced it in a long time. Is there a hunger in our hearts today, a supernatural hunger in our hearts today that desires to go deep in God? We, we, I, I preached about it a couple weeks ago and used something as silly as donuts to try to get the point across. But the fact of the matter is, I look at people all over this place and it saddens me because I see a lot of people that lost hunger for God. You come and you participate and you worship and, and, and you still do all the things you, that you're accustomed to doing, but, but it's now more out of habit and ritual. It's lost that hunger. You lost that depth of that hunger, that desire to say, you know what? I don't care what you ask of me. i got to go deeper in God. I don't care if you say, you know, it's okay just to do this. I don't want to know the minimum. I want to know, how do I find God greater than I've got him now? And I'm so sick and tired of my life the way it is. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of only experiencing God. I know that he has so much more out there. Where is that hunger inside of somebody today that says, you know what? I'm so hungry for God to do something fresh in my life. I'm so tired and living off stale bread and stale manna. I need something fresh in my life to come. I need something brand new. I, I need a new experience. I, I need something to happen in me. I need God to get inside of my heart and shake me and mold me and make me. I don't want to live in a complacent world. I don't want to live satisfied with the memories of what God used used to do but i need something fresh to rise in my heart today you can't sorry folks you can't sing that in somebody you can't even preach it into somebody it's got to be something in you today that you've got to make the choice you can only present it to somebody but i can't make you hungry I can hopefully maybe cook something in the Holy Ghost. You get the whiff of the smell and just the smell of it alone starts to make you think about whether or not that's good to taste. I mean, sometimes you can walk somewhere and not be hungry, but smell something and get hungry. So you know what? Sometimes in services you hope to let the Lord allow something to be cooked in here that will get your senses moving to make you hungry. But you've got to make a choice. Are you hungry? Because you know what? If there are no hungry people here, we might as well close the door. I don't mean that to be nasty. I know I've said some hard things today. But if we're not hungry today, we, we, we're, what are we doing here? The widow came. There was a widow. I close with this. There was a widow in the Bible she had gotten to the point where she had nothing left. In fact, it was getting to the point where it was so bad off, the only option she had to survive was to sell her children to pay off the debt. The prophet showed up at her house. They began to converse. The Spirit of the Lord moved over the prophet and said, Listen, go out, find every vessel you can. Every vessel you can. Bring it back to the house. She went out and found every vessel. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord moved and the vessels began to be filled with oil. But there's something at the end of that sentence that really sticks out. It says, when all the vessels were filled, the oil stopped. The oil representing... In parallel to us today, representing the anointing of God, the flow of God, the power of God, the oil of the Spirit. 
The supernatural stops when the vessels are full. And you know what? A lot of the time, a lot of things that have stopped in this church, you can point fingers at a lot of things, and there may be a lot of factors, but we have a lot of full vessels. And you know what? God is not into the entertainment business. And we desire the move of God more for our entertainment than we do really for the substance that's created by it. We want God to, to, to move so that we can be entertained more than we can be changed and challenged. And God says, I can't move if there's no vessels for me to move on. Because emptiness creates availability. And availability creates the opportunity for God to move. If you're here today and you say, listen, I haven't felt something fresh in my life from God in a long time. You are telling me and everybody else you are filled. There's nowhere else for God to go. And the oil of the Holy Ghost is too precious just to pour out on the ground. God said, I'll fill it. But you've got to get some stuff out of you. You've got to get your way, your, your, your desires, your plans, your dreams out of the way to get me an opportunity to fill. But God has never to this point in history left somebody empty. But the oil stayed when the vessels were filled. What's the condition of your vessel? Truly, how hungry are you? Are we only hungry for the, for the upper echelon of God? Tell me something I don't know. Do something I've never seen before. And I'll get excited. Are we just hungry, God, just to know you? You know what, folks? Only you can make that choice today. But do you realize God is not sitting up there withholding things from us because he's just big and mean. We're not waiting for God. God is ultimately waiting for somebody in this place today to make a choice to say, God, I have let some hunger some fire, some desire in me die. But God, whatever you've got to do, if it's an earthquake, if it's a storm, raise the waves in my life. If, it, if I don't have the strength to do it and create an earthquake, then let a storm come. Because you know what? God in His mercy sometimes brings storms not to kill us, but to save us. Because you know what? Let's be honest. A lot of times... When there's no storms, there's no need to pray. There's no need to seek God. But when the storm comes, all of a sudden now we know where to go, where to find. And God uses those storms in our lives to shake us, to say, remember. If you're here today and you feel like you're in a storm, if you're here today and you feel like you're confused, if you're here today and you feel like you have no direction in your life, it's not God. God's waiting for you. God's not withholding anything from you today. He's simply waiting for you to say, are you hungry enough to seek me? Are you hungry enough to seek me? Because ultimately, that's the choice. There's some that have already responded, but I wonder if there's anybody today. I know we don't usually do this on Sunday mornings, but I feel to do it today. Is there anybody that's willing to get out of your seat today? Come down and take a moment and talk to God and say, God... Whatever you've got to do in me to shake me and give me a fresh hunger for you, I don't want... If you're satisfied with your life, stay there. But if there's anybody here that you ultimately are just so sick and tired of the way things are in your life, the staleness, the dryness, the emptiness, and you're saying, God, I've got to have something fresh. Fresh in me today. Moving me fresh today. Fresh. Come on, don't just go through the motions and the, and the ritual of prayer. But really open up your heart. 
Say, God, you got to do something in me today. Come on, let God meet you here this morning. Let God meet you here as you reach out to Him. He reaches back to you. Let that hunger rise in you today. Come on, let a fresh hunger get us hold of you today. Say, God, let a fresh hunger get inside of my heart today. Fresh hunger. A fresh hunger. I don't want to be satisfied with the memories of what you used to do. I don't want to be satisfied with the memories and the miracles of yesterday. But God, where are you? I want to find you. Come on. You and Jesus. You don't have to make a lot of noise. It's you and Jesus. Be honest with him. You might as well be. He already knows. But say, God, I've let things slip. I've become filled with everything else around me. I'm not hungry like I used to. I'm not, I don't desire you like I used to. God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for allowing things, other things to become important instead of you. But God, I'm praying today that Lord, if it's a storm or an earthquake, God, let your spirit rise in me. Let the waves of your spirit wash over me. Wash me. Let me get in the depth of your spirit today. I don't want to live in the shallows of ankle deep water. Oh, Holy Ghost, move in this place now in the name of Jesus. Shake us from our complacency. Shake us from our apathy. Let a fresh fire rise in our hearts today. A fresh hunger get a hold of us today. Oh, God, you have so much for us. You desire to give us so much. You desire to show us so much. God, I pray now that you would let a fresh hunger rise in in us today. Those of us that are new in you and those that have been in you for a long time, God. Let there be a hunger get a hold of us today. This complacency, the apathy, the religion, the spirit of religion, I bind it in Jesus' name. I bind the spirit of religion that's over, that has blinded the eyes of your people. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over it now in Jesus' name. Oh, rise up, Holy Ghost. Rise up, Holy Ghost, in this place. Rise up, faith. Spring up well. Spring up well of the Holy Ghost. Spring up well of the Spirit. Oh! Oh, Jesus. Spring up well. Spring up well. Spring up well. Oh, I'm lost without you. you to stay right there in your posture of prayer and listen to me. You don't have to move. Just stay right there and listen to me. I wanted you to go back all the way back to the very beginning. If it's been a year, five years, ten years, maybe it's been longer than that. I want you to remember what it felt like to have that well spring up in you that very first time when you felt the presence of God, the power of God, what that was like what that did inside of you. The book of Jeremiah chapter 2 verse number 13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. A fountain is something that has a source. A cistern is only something that collects water. Too many of us used to have the source in us, but now we've been satisfied with simply becoming cisterns, collectors of other people's water collectors of the water but we're not having any source today we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost I know we say where do you got the Holy Ghost you need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost that breaks you out of the mode of just being a cistern but lets that that source that fountain that living water inside of you begin to swell back up again where you're not satisfied with simply collecting water But you say, God, I want that source to be in me. How do I know if I'm a cistern or a fountain? I can tell you how you know is, who do you rely on to feel the presence of God? Do you rely on somebody else? Somebody else is singing, somebody else is preaching, somebody else is praying? Or do you feel confident that you can touch God all by yourself? Because a cistern has no source. It relies on everybody else. But a fountain doesn't need anything else because it knows it's got it inside. Who do you rely on? Do you have to call somebody? you have to come to church to feel God? Do you have to get a hold of somebody to pray for you when you're in need? Or do you have God in you working in your life to know that, you know what, if there's nobody to call, that's okay because I've got Jesus. I've got him. I've got them because I've got that source in you. Can you just pray one more time and say, God, I need a fresh baptism of your spirit. I need a fresh baptism of your spirit. I don't want to be a cistern. I don't want to just be a collector. I don't want to be relying upon somebody else's reign. But God, I've got to have a fresh fountain in me. Take me back, God. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to take some of us back to the place where we first found you. Take us back to that first time we lifted up our hands, empty, desperate, broken, hurting. And we lifted up our hands and you filled us for the very first time and washed us and cleansed us. Don't let us forget what that felt like, God. Oh, Jesus, I pray today, God, you got to help us. You got to help us. Thank you, Jesus. Anointing. Let the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're not praying, would you sing this with us? Oh, anointing, let it fall on me.
you, Jesus. Can we just raise our hands one more time and just love him and worship him? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Don't forget those of you that are able tonight, church, 6 o'clock. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand before you leave. Amen.